Amen. Would you remain standing and we'll give attention to our passage this morning, which is found in James, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of God to you today. What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure, you adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. This is the word of God to you today. You can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and it's a joy to have each of you joining us today. For those of you who are joining online, we're grateful to have you wherever you may be coming from today. And we're continuing in our study of the book of James. And as we just read together, we're in chapter four. So if you have a copy of the scriptures or you have them on your phones, I wanna encourage you to turn them open or turn them on to James chapter four, and we'll be in verses one through 10. And just to remind you, our studies and messages that have come before this in the first three chapters are available online, as well as discussion guides and study guides to go further individually or with your group or your family to go further in our study of James. I think you would agree with me that the words we just heard together from James chapter four, verses one through 10 are difficult words. They're challenging words on a topic that many of us are feeling in a very visceral way today as we walk in the room, as we watch online, the effects of conflict in our lives. Uh, We were watching a movie recently, The Banshees of Inisherin, Inisherin, The Banshees of Inisherin, and uh, I'm not making a recommendation, but we were watching this movie, and the whole premise of the movie is about two friends who fall out with each other and the one friend is so dismayed by the conflict and he continues, uh, Colin Farrell, his character, continues to pursue his friend over and over again, trying to understand what the conflict is about and where it came from. And then it just gets weird. 
uh, really weird. And they, they go round and round in their conflict with one another and the effects of the conflict. And it gets really progressively darker and darker and darker until one of the final scenes is them standing on a beach and the one friend says to the other, you know, we've done enough to each other. It's gotten so bad. The effects of our conflict with one another is so difficult and it's so bad. Let's just call it even. Let's call a truce and call it quits. And the other friend, Colin Farrell's character, looks at him and says, well, you did this to me. I'm not going to spoil it for you. You did this to me, so we won't call it quits. We'll call it the beginning. It's the beginning of our conflict, and the conflict rages on. I wonder who you might be in conflict with today. As you walk into the room today, who is it that you can think of or, or, or the people in your life whom can you think of, um, plural, that you're having conflict with actively? Just maybe let their face flash before you right now. Maybe you're even seated with them. Someone that you're having conflict and they don't even know it. How, 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 long, how long has this been going on, the conflict? How long has it been going on? Is it something that happened this week? Is it something that happened on the ride over? Is it something that happened years ago um, and it still rages on? Is the person you're thinking about or the people you're thinking about, are they even living? What was the conflict about? Can you draw a plumb line back to what started it all? Can you identify, think about this, can you identify a link between the person or the people that you're having conflict with and something that they might have control over you with? Something that they might be standing in the way of you in somewhere or something that you want to achieve or a place you want to get? Another way to ask it, the person that you're in conflict with or the people that you're in conflict with, can you think about a way that they're blocking you from a desire that you have? From a way that, um, that you want to go forward? And I'm asking some of these questions because as James unpacks conflict for us today, Oftentimes conflict in our lives and the people that we're having conflict with, whether it's, by the way, sometimes you can be having conflict with someone internally and they don't even know it. And you're having a running dialogue with them in your head and heart that's not coming out in your words yet. We've talked about the power of words, but James says it all begins in your heart. And sometimes you can be having conflict with God or with other people that never even gets expressed. But there's an origin to it. It's coming from a place. And I wonder as you think about those people you're in conflict with, how long it's been going on and maybe what they may be uh, blocking you from or a desire that you have, oftentimes conflict is directly connected with the word control. So if you're, if you're taking notes, maybe you just want to write conflict and then, and then maybe put a line out and just put control. And the question to ask yourself when you're having conflict is what is it that this person has control over that I desire? Or maybe another way to look at it, in what ways is my conflict with this person or these people causing me to understand the lack of control that I have? I want something for someone. I want something for myself. This person might be standing in the way or blocking me from it. And I'm very aware internally in my heart with them that I'm out of control, that I can't control them. Conflict and anger, 
battles that we have with one another are almost always connected with our lack of control or our desire, everybody listening, our desire to control, to control the narrative or to control someone else. And let me just do a little unscientific poll in here. How has it gone for you when you try to control other people in your life? How's that gone for you? How does it feel when someone else is trying to control you? And yet we do that with one another. Let me just go a little further, okay? When you experience conflict, and I ask every couple that I do counseling for, premarital things, are you an exploder or a stuffer? And almost always, not always, but almost always, couples are on one side or the other. Another way to say it is, in conflict, do you blow up or do you clam up? Do you stuff it, right, or do you explode? In the family that I grew up in, and most of us can trace back how we learned to have conflict from our family of origin, right, for better or for worse. In our family, it was what conflict? There's no conflict here. There's, no, there's nothing going on here. Everything's fine. Well, how do you know it's fine? Because we say it's fine. Everything's fine. For some of you, you grew up in a family that if there was conflict or tension, you knew it. You could just not only feel it, but it was going to be expressed. There was not a, a, a long distance between a thought and the expression in words, right? The gumball just came right out and it just kept coming and coming and coming, right? So in a fam the, my family of origin as, as kind of stuffers, and I still struggle with that now, just stuffing things, holding on to things, which by the way, you might think is, is a better way to do conflict because guess where the conflict's taking place? Right here. It's, it's, it's going on. We're going to talk about this a little bit further. And then for some of you, you grew up in families, and even now, you're, you're, you know, you're, it's going to be all out there. There's not a lot that's not unexpressed. You're going to, you're going to blow up, if you will. People are going to, going to hear about it. So I grew up in a family that was very much stuffers in conflict. Jen grew up in a family that was very much exploders in conflict. Or, or maybe, uh, you know, just you're going you're gonna to hear about it. It's going to be expressed. The first time when we started dating, I went to visit her family. She has three younger brothers, right? And they were all teenagers and, and they're going at it. I mean, just back and forth. And I'm sitting like in the corner, like this is so uncomfortable for me. But then like after five minutes, it's like, well, hey, y'all wanna go get some ice cream? Let's go get, let's go, go get ice cream together. Where in my family it was like, well, you know, everybody's just kind of in their corner and you might think there's peace, but there's a lot of conflict going on. And then these, you know, maybe quiet resentments kind of build up. Which one are you? What, what was your family like? How did you learn how to do conflict, the thing that James is talking about? Do you pick arguments or do you avoid arguments? Are you comfortable in conflict? Can you not stand conflict? And even when it's going on around you, you can't stand it. The reality is this, when we come to our passage here in James 4, that conflict, wouldn't you agree, is a part of our broken world. Whether we want it to be or not, conflict is a part of our broken world. And we're gonna talk about where it comes from and the ramifications of it, right? And even the church, those of us who follow Jesus, we're not immune from it, are we? In fact, who is James addressing here in his letter? He's addressing the church. And he says, why is there conflict? Why are there quarrels and arguments among you with one another? 
Even for those of us who follow Jesus, we're not immune to conflict in our hearts and the effects of conflict are all around us. You know, again, back to family of origin, how you do conflict and just be thinking about that. The people that you're in conflict with, you have been in conflict with, and you will have conflict with, how you respond in conflict, what's your attitude towards it. We learned this, Jen, early on in our marriage, and maybe you did too, in a friendship or in your marriage. Uh, we, we met in biology class, Jen's from, from South Dakota. I'd never met anybody from South Dakota. That was the coolest thing for, you know, to me. I grew up here in Charlotte. We met in college. We met in biology class, which neither of us could stand. We weren't interested in, so we were interested in one another. So that was a great thing that came out of biology class. And we dated for several years and we got engaged and we were very much in love and still are after 22 years. But we learned something very early on in our marriage. We didn't know how to have conflict. We didn't know anything about conflict and yet we were having it. And we went on vacation one time with some other friends, other couple friends, and we were a couple years into our marriage. And one night over dinner, our friends were really quiet. And we asked them, what's going on? This was a couple days into our vacation together. And they said, you guys sure do have a lot of conflict with each other. And we were like, we do? It just becomes so normative for us that we were fussing and arguing with one another. And so we, we, that, that led us to pursue that, right? Which I would encourage you in, in your relationships to pursue the origin of that. And, and we did. And we ended up uh, in a counselor's office. And I've shared the story before and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys, um, you know, I regret it, but I'm gonna tell you right now. Uh, Jim was like, we need to go see a counselor. And I was like, you know, and I can't believe I said this, but I'm just going to be vulnerable with you. I said, um, if you, <laughs> not my finest moment, if you need to see a counselor, I will go with you. <laughs> okay. So we, we end up, you know, in the counselor's office and we're on the, we're on the, couch there, right? And just an incredible counselor who journeyed with us and just bless her today. But in that first session, you know, she's got her notepad open and we're talking a little bit. And then she says the question that, you know, every great counselor asks, so what brings you in here today? And uh, we said, well, we, you know, we're very much in love with each other, but we can't figure out why we keep having conflict. And we keep fussing and fighting and, and arguing with one another. We can't, can't figure it out. And we're kind of sitting a couple feet apart on the, on the couch. And she's, you know, across from us with her notepad. And she asked this question. Well, what do you think the goal of conflict is? Like, what's the whole point of it for you? Like, when you, when you argue and fight, like, what's the, what's the goal of conflict? And no kidding. Without even looking at one another we both answered at the same time, to win. <laughs> and that began our journey into understanding conflict. And what was being expressed with our words was something deep down in our hearts, in our own stories, and in this bigger story that's going on that's causing our conflict with one another. And I do just before we move on, I wanna encourage you in the context of your marriage or relationship, places, maybe people that flash before you that you're experiencing conflict with, to step further into the story and to be courageous to ask the question in conflict, right? What is my part in this? 
you know, what am I bringing to the story? What, what story am I believing about God and myself and this other person that I'm in conflict with? And oftentimes, right, it's the people that we love the most, the people that you rode over here with this morning, the people that you're watching with this morning that, that is so painful that we hurt the most in conflict. And we're going to talk about that. So James begins to unpack for us in these first 10 verses in chapter 4 this idea of conflict and how do we get through what we're going through in terms of a real faith and a real Jesus and applying it to real problems and conflict that we're having with other people, even among us, those of us who are following, followers of Jesus. And I want you to hear this because he begins in verses 1 through 5. And I'm, I'm going to say this up front because I, I, I love you so much. And more than anything else, I want to tell you the truth. Okay, and I want, to, I want to tell you the truth from God's word. This is not an easy passage. And it's not the story that you're going to hear from the world about conflict. But James wants to tell us the truth about conflict. Not only where it came from, but what the cure, the true cure, the resolution that, that God only offers and only he can offer for the conflict that we're experiencing. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's not an easy passage. And it begins with the bad news. Where does conflict come from? When we're experiencing that with our spouse, our kids, our friends, our group, our ch within our church, our community, a coworker this week, where does that conflict come from? What is the cause of conflict? And many of us, and the story that the world tells us is, well, it's a personality difference, right? We just have different temperaments. Um, you know, we disagree on politics, uh, we, we, we disagree on sports teams or, or whatever it might be. We just, it's just an external thing that we just, we just don't get, get along with each other. We just, we just don't seem to be able to speak the same love language or whatever it might be. And I'm not diminishing that there are differences, of course, between people. But James doesn't say, you know, where does conflict and quarreling come among you? It's your, it's your Enneagram number. You know, it's, it's your, Meyer, your Myers-Briggs, you know, it's, it's, it's just your temperaments or it's just the fact that, you know, you're on the red side and you're on the blue side and it's, you know, it's just that, that's what it is. No, no, it's, he, he doesn't say it's external. Look at the passage, look at verse one. Where does conflict come from? It comes from within. It's not external to me. Look, look. The world says you just can't get along with this person. This person's just difficult. You know, they're, they're, um, they're irritable. You're, they're temperamental. They're whatever. We just don't get along with each other. And that, that's the cause of our conflict. And James says, no, that, that is cursory. That is base. That is a simple story. And by the way, many of us are believing way too simple of a story about ourselves and other people. In this world, there are no simple stories. You are not a simple story. People are complex, you are complex. And when we say, oh, we just don't get on with each other, you know, we just, we just can't get along or we just have different, different you know, temperaments or whatever, it's way too simple of a story. And James says, no, no, no. It's much more complex. It's much deeper. Look at verse one. It comes from within. The conflict and the battles that we're experiencing with one another is symptomatic of a war on the inside. Look at the language that he uses, battles and wars, and it gets even more provocative. But the bottom line for the whole passage is found right here in verse one. If you're following along, just highlight it. It came from within. Conflict comes from inside my heart. 
And then James goes further to talk about the cause of this. And really the language that he uses here in the first five verses of chapter four is the language of the Sermon on the Mount of his big brother, James's big brother, Jesus. When Jesus preaches probably his most famous sermon in Matthew five through seven, and he gives kingdom principles and wisdom to followers of Jesus, the people who were following him already about how to live out their faith in a real world, which is the whole point of James. And there's 105 different references in the book of James to the Sermon on the Mount. And so verses one through five reads a lot like his big brother preaches in, James, in Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes. And one of the things that Jesus says in the Beatitudes is, you've heard it said, remember he's speaking to people who are fearing God and many of them following Jesus already. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you, do you remember this? that if you're angry with your brother or your sister, you've already committed murder in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Don't commit it. I'm, I'm sorry, buddy. It's gonna get better, I promise. <laughs> this is conflict, right? This is what happens, right? You've heard it said, right, that don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look the wrong way upon somebody else, if you lust for them, even in your mind, you've already committed adultery. What is Jesus saying? He's saying it came from within. Jesus says, it's not eating the wrong food or not washing your hands properly that defiles you that religiosity was telling them. It's what happens inside your heart that comes out in your words and your actions that defiles you. So look specifically at verse two. He he says, you know, what causes all of this? It's the war within you. And he says, "This this is amazing. You want what you don't have. And so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. In other words, you're not trusting the Lord for your story. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Your heart is wrong. You only want what will give you, look at verse 4, Uh, pleasure. Excuse me, verse three. You only want what will give you pleasure. In other words, you're just consuming from other people. And the word here, and this is a hard word, I know it. But when Jesus looks at the people that he's preaching to and he says, you're a murderous and adulterous generation, you're like, I've I've never done those things. And, And Jesus says, if you've been angry at your brother and your sister, you've committed murder. If you've looked improperly upon somebody else and desired them, you've committed adultery. Why? Because it comes from within. And what is murder when you think about it? Of course, we know it technically is ending someone's life. But murder, as the way Jesus defines it, is trying to destroy or end someone with your words, with your actions, and any, with your thoughts. It's destroying other people. And James says, where does this type of conflict and wanting to destroy someone else coming from? It comes from envy and jealousy. You envy someone, you want what they have. You want the life they have. And and guys, can't you see that in the world that we live in right now with access to other people's stories, and by the way, we're watching the highlight reel of other people's lives, right? And we know the true story of our lives. So we're comparing our insides with someone else's outsides. And it's a curated outside. It's a Photoshopped outside. 
Can we agree on that? I'm showing you, look at all the beautiful places and the people that, I'm, that I've been with and I am, right? And I'm sitting at home folding laundry and going, man, why am I not in Paris? What, you know, why am I not sipping wine someplace? You know, what's wrong with my life? What have I done? And, and guys, this is what happens. There's a little story that begins to creep in. God didn't get it right. And, and what is fear? It's a very complex emotion. And by the way, fear oftentimes is a secondary type of emotion. But what is fear in its essence? You know, Tim Keller says this. And by the way, Tim went to heaven on Friday and just honor his life and celebrate his life and just his legacy of faith. Tim says, fear is the wonderment that God didn't get it right in your life. I begin to fear, did God not get it right? Did I not get the, the gifts that I was supposed to get? Did I not get the job that I was supposed to get? Am I, am I not with the people that I, that I was supposed to be with? God, God didn't get it right. I fear that God didn't get it right in my life, okay? And then fear is connected to jealousy or envy, the two words that James uses here. And envy is the understanding or the thought within you that God didn't get it right. Fear is, I wonder if God didn't get it right. Envy is, I know God didn't get it right. I'm supposed to be with that person. I'm supposed to have that life. I'm supposed to be doing these things. And God has forgotten me. Now, everyone watch this. And when I get to a place that my heart on the inside, it came from within, is filled with envy and jealousy, then I begin to scheme of how I can take it for myself because the root cause of all sin, go all the way back to Genesis three, is God didn't get it right. And I've got to make my way through this world and I've got to take what I need because God won't give it to me. And we see it playing out right here. And you go, what does that have to do with the text message that I was exchanging with that co-worker that went south? It has everything to do. What is it that that person is keeping you from? What is it that that person's reminding you of? And this happens right in our home with our kids, our grandkids, our spouses, our friends, our neighbors, the people we're living with, the people closest to us. And James says, look, you're, you're wanting to kill and destroy other people. Maybe not physically, but maybe you're wanting to destroy other people with your gossip, with your slander, with your words. You're wanting to break them down because they have what you, what you want. You can't get it. And you don't even ask God. And when you ask God for it, by the way, that means you have to submit your heart to God and his will. And you don't have the right motive so you don't get it. And you're like, I'm glad I came to church today to listen to this. But look, we all experience conflict and we're all experiencing the damage that comes from conflict. And the story that the world would tell us is it's just a personality difference. It's just your politics. It's just your temperaments. It's just the circumstances that you're going through. And you miss the opportunity to grow closer to Jesus and understand the true story. And James says, I'm gonna tell you the truth. It comes from within. It's your own jealousy, the ways you wanna destroy people. And then he says this, look at verses four and five. He goes even further. If you can't destroy someone and break them down, then you try to consume them. And the word he uses here, it's a very provocative word. He says, you adulterers. 
And he's mimicking the words that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. You've committed adultery in your heart. And what is adultery? Adultery is taking from someone else. It's not being faithful to your commitment. So over and over again in the Old Testament, the prophets used the, this, the covenant relationship between a husband and a wife to symbolize the relationship between God and his people and their unfaithfulness to God. And so James says, in this conflict, look at verse five. You can't be Switzerland in this. You can't be neutral. If you're a friend of the enemy, you're an enemy of God. And you're like, whoa, wait a second here. No, if you're participating in the story of the enemy, which is a story of murder and adultery, then you're an enemy of the kingdom of God. You can't be neutral in this. This is why this is so important. And it's, a, it's not often preached in this way because it's a difficult passage. And I understand that. But anything less than this is less than the truth of where conflict comes from. And so James says, you're committing adultery because you're lusting after what other people have. And again, lust at its nature isn't just physical. You can lust emotionally. You can lust financially in all kinds of different ways. And lust is essentially, I want to consume someone else. I want to take what they have. And so here's how this oftentimes plays out. I want to consume other people and what they have and what they can do for me. And when I realize that I can't get something from them or I've consumed everything I can get from them, then I drop them and I want to murder them and destroy them. And you go, well, that doesn't happen in my life, really? You've never had somebody that wants to consume you physically or in some other way? And when they realize that they can't get anything else from you or you draw a boundary in your life, they drop you and then they trash you. You've never looked at somebody that has a job or a position or a financial standing that you want and you begin to gossip just a little bit about them and how they got there and what that looks like and before you know it, it's a full-blown conflict that you're having, even if you haven't articulated to them on the inside, and it comes from jealousy and envy, and then you want to destroy them. This is what James is saying, that it comes from within. And we're lusting after people and what they have, and then we're destroying them with our words and our actions. I want what I can't have, and so I take it instead of trusting God. And what happens in this, everyone watch me, is when I give in to the story of the enemy, which by the way, what is the chief goal of the enemy? To steal, kill, and what does that sound like? I wanna steal from you, I wanna take from you, I wanna consume you. I wanna consume everything I can get from you. And then once I've taken everything I can get from you, I want to destroy you. And make no mistake, whether you believe in the enemy or not, he believes in you and he knows you. And he wants to destroy everything good in your life. And it begins with the story that you're believing in your heart. The story that you're believing in your heart about God. How did the enemy get to Adam and Eve? He made them question and doubt and eventually rebel against the story of God. 
God put one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And he said, you can eat of all the bounty of the garden. I've provided everything for you here that you'll ever need and more. And the enemy said, it's not enough. Consume everything. And it destroyed them. And this is where conflict comes from whether it's a base conflict that's like a level one, just kind of a little bit of back and forth and passive aggressiveness, or whether it's a full-blown physical conflict, it all comes from the same root, the same heart. It's not personality. It's not circumstances. It's two kingdoms battling with one another in your heart. This is why Paul said in Romans 7, 7 the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't do, I want to do. I'm a man in conflict. And it's not external to me. It's internal in my heart. Two kingdoms battling with one another. And then verse five, this is an interesting verse. James says, the spirit that God's put inside of you is a jealous spirit. Meaning, it's a spirit that is jealous for your affection, for your attention. God doesn't want to share you with the enemy. And so when you participate in the story of the enemy through your envy and your jealousy and your murder, whether it's your thoughts or your actions or your words, you're cheating on God. That's what James says. And he's reminding them of that, that you can't be neutral in this. As C.S. Lewis reminded us, with every word and action, you're becoming more of a citizen of heaven or a citizen of hell. You're living out the story. Everybody watch this. You're living out the story that you're believing. The story that you're believing about God, the story that you're believing about yourself, the story that you're believing about other people. And everybody watch this, okay? And you can get mad at me, okay? We can be in conflict. I wanna tell you the truth. Every one of your conflicts with other people is a symbol and a story of a larger conflict within you. And the story that we have to ask ourselves, all of us, is what am I believing? What story am I living out of? And if I'm living out of the story of the enemy, right, that says you're nothing more than a consumer. So you should take from other people to give you pleasure. If you're living out of a story of consumption, then that's going to be your orientation to every other story and relationship in your life. And it can look shiny. You can, you can dress it up. You can even put religiosity over it, a veneer of morality. But underneath all of that, you're trying to consume people. And what James says is there's something so much more. When you know that you're living out the story of God, that you're a child of the most high king, I don't need anything from anybody else because I have it all right here. So here's the deal, guys. Watch the, everybody watch this. When you think about your vertical relationship with the Lord, you know, this vertical line, I'm either believing the story from above or I'm believing the story from above or, or, or below. There's nothing in between. There's no Switzerland. There's no neutral. I'm either believing God's story or I'm believing the enemy's story. I'm believing God's story that I'm a child. I'm believing the enemy's story that I'm a consumer. And I want to watch this. Because this relationship, either with the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of hell, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness, is going horizontal in all of your relationships. But it begins with this relationship. Is the story of hell informing my heart or is the story of heaven informing my heart? 
And the truth is it's complex, it's both. And it's a moment by moment, which story am I believing? But make no mistake, the story that you're believing from above or below is affecting the stories that you're having horizontally in your life, every one of them. And so quickly, James progresses. I said, it's bad news and we spent enough time there, it's bad. It's not just temperament or Myers-Briggs or Enneagram. It's not just circumstance. It comes from within our own heart and participating in the story of darkness instead of the story of light. And then James gives this incredible word. Verse six, look at it with me. And he gives grace generously. So everything in verses one through five is about the cause of conflict. And it's worse than you thought. And everything in verses six through 10 is about the cure to conflict. And it's better than you can imagine. And it all begins right here that he gives grace generously. What does that word generously mean? It means that you can't out the grace of God. God gives grace upon grace upon grace. And you say, well, what is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. What did we get when we got Jesus? We got forgiveness, we got identity, we got truth, we got security of being a part of God's forever family, right? We got access to God so that we don't need things to consume from other people. This is what grace gave to us. And I wanna say this, cause I'm gonna run out of time. Grace is the foundation for everything else that James is gonna say about the cure to conflict. If you skip ahead and you go, okay, I got to humble myself. I got I to resist the devil. I got to come close to God. You know, I got I to gotta purify my heart. I got to mourn and grieve. I've, I've built a list, right? I've built a list of religiosity, of things that I have to do on my own. I want you to see this. If you're following along your scriptures, right? Verses seven through 10 is just the outpouring of verse six. Grace changes everything. Grace is the orientation of what it means to follow Jesus, to find him and to follow him. It's all grace. And the reality is the same grace that causes me to be reconciled to God through Christ is the same grace that I received to now resist the enemy and the story that he wants me to believe about God and myself and other people. And so maybe think about it this way. The intersection of knowledge or truth and experience or living is what is known as wisdom. Wisdom is the intersection of knowledge and experience. And so what James wants to give here is wisdom about the cure to conflicts in your life, your life right now. Those people that flash before you when, we, when I ask the question, who are you in conflict with? Past, present, and future. James says the cure to conflict is understanding grace. To be reconciled to God yourself in your story, it begins with you and your heart and story with God. And then out of that reconciliation that you've experienced with God, now you become an ambassador of reconciliation with other people. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. And so now everything that James says here in verses seven through 10, I'm just gonna rapid fire here, 
is an application of grace. And follow along with me. James says, humble yourself before God. What's the one word prayer that God longs to hear more than anything else? You guys remember? Help. That's humility. I can't do this. The conflict that I'm having with my family, with my spouse, with my kids, with my neighbors, with my coworkers, with my boss, with my church, on and on and on. I'm not strong enough to overcome the story within me and that I'm believing. I need God's help. And the word help uttered in your heart and in your mouth is the beginning, is the beginning of God being able to work. It's humility. It's coming to the end of yourself. It's Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Blessed are those who know they need God, who come to the end of themselves. And it's then and only then that I'm able to look at verse seven, the the second part of it. I'm able to resist the devil, right? Again, there's no Switzerland here. You've got to actively resist the one who wants to still kill and destroy everything in your life specifically with conflict and relationships, actively resisting him, not giving him a stronghold or a place to set up camp in your life. And then he says, come close to God. He's meaning the fellowship that you have, your connection with God. You know, God came close to you in Christ, and now it's us drawing close to the Lord. I love what Sam Alberry said. He said, will love of self draw me from God? Maybe you just want to screenshot this. Or will love of God draw me from self? James says, wash your hands and purify your hearts. You can't do that on your own. It's only by grace that we can do that. And then he says, part of the the humility of coming to the end of ourselves and understanding our part in all conflict is to mourn sin and its effects. And you say, well, not all of it was my fault. Right, right doesn't have to all be your fault to mourn and to grieve the effects of sin and conflict. And by the way, fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. Right? My kids can't stand it when I say it to them, but I do. That, that, that fair is where you get cotton candy. Right? <laughs> it, has, it has nothing to do with our... Fairness ended in the Garden of Eden for all of us. Because you go, well, this isn't fair. This person X and this person Y and this person whatever. What is your part in it? What can you own in it? And then what can you grieve with all of it? I grieve sin and I grieve the effects of sin. I'm almost done, I promise. And then finally, James says in verse 10, God will lift you up. This is so beautiful to me. Because what did I want in the first place in verses one through five? What was the cause of my conflict? Well, wasn't it jealousy and envy and what I wanted that somebody else had? I wanted to be glorified. I wanted to be honored. I wanted to be lifted up. I wanted to be seen in a certain way. I wanted to live a certain life. And when we get to the end of this process of God curing us in conflict by his grace, because that's the foundation of all of it, he says, as you humble yourself before God, in other words, as you believe his story about who he is, about who you are, about who other people are, God will honor you. God will lift you up in the right time. Not for your glory, but to point to his story for other people. This is beautiful. Back to the opening illustration, the Banshees of Inisherin. Our two friends are standing on the beach. They're They're in conflict with one another. The one says, let's call it quits. Let's call it the end. 
let's call a truce. We've done enough to each other. The other says, you've hurt me in a way that's worse than I've hurt you. Let's call it the beginning. And in the background, it's 1923. They're on a little island off of Ireland. In the background, as they're having this conversation about conflict that we've all had ourselves in different ways, there's all kinds of bombs going off on the mainland. And all of this was a picture of the Irish Civil War that was raging. Families torn apart, cut off with one another. Protestants and Catholics battling. People who believed in God battling with one another. A conflict that still rages on today. And don't you see? It's a beautiful picture of James 4. The battle that I'm having with other people is part of a war that is raging in the hearts of humanity. And here's the bottom line for the passage, James 4, 1 through 10. It came from within. So where do we begin? If it came from within, where do we begin? We begin in verse 6, where James began with grace. That's where James began, and that's where we begin. To Christ be the glory today. Let's pray together. Thank you for grace, Lord. Thank you for giving more and more and more grace to us. Where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. So help us today as we think about conflict, as we think about the people that we're in conflict with, maybe even in conflict with ourselves or with you, help us to receive your grace. Help us to remember that you oppose the proud, but you give favor to the humble. So from a place of grace today, help us to humble ourselves before you, to draw close to you, to wash our hands and purify our hearts, to disavow our loyalty to the story of the enemy and avow our loyalty to you, God, and your story. Maybe for some of us today, there needs to be tears. There needs to be sorrow and deep grief and sadness for the conflict in our lives and its effect. Humble us today, Lord. And as James reminded us, Lift us up to bring you honor. Give us the wisdom today to know what you've spoken to us, Lord. And now give us the faith and the courage to leave this place and obey. In the name of Christ, amen.